What's up, what's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined me today because we have another very special guest today. We are so lucky and privileged to have with us Kristen Tinsky. She is a seasoned content marketer whose focus over the last 15 years has been staying at the forefront of viral content creation and promotion online. While the methods have changed as the new channels have emerged, the basic principles for her have remained the same. Create something that provides value, activates emotions, and demonstrates the brand's unique selling position proposition in an organic way. And it is possible to see the unmatched power of content-based inbound marketing. Guys, this is some cool stuff. You got to know about it. You got to understand it. And we are lucky to have an expert here with us today to tell us more about it. So we'll cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited you're here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners, they know I love to start with backstory because it's never a straight line. It's always a winding road. And I love to be able to hear how you made it to this point where you're doing what you're doing today and helping people with the cool stuff you're doing. So let's start from the beginning or wherever you think is a good place to start from the beginning. And let's kind of share with everybody how you got here. Okay. I mean, I guess I can go all the way back to the beginning when I first <laughs> learned about internet marketing was in college probably 2004, 2005, so a long time ago now, um, had been just working some really crappy college jobs like catering and some other things that were sure. not fun. Um, and I was just looking at Craigslist for new things, and I stumbled upon this ad for uh, someone who was doing affiliate marketing and like AdSense arbitrage, which was something that you could do back at that time where you could essentially drive traffic to your site by buying uh, ads and then make more money on the AdSense ads that were on your site than you were paying for uh, the ads to get people to your site. Wow. And it was just, it was a very weird time in like sort of the beginning of um, paid search that allowed a few, a handful of people to make a lot of money in a very easy way. And so right. I did not really get involved in that, but it was uh, very intriguing to me that there was actually a way to make money online. Right. And as I learned soon after, there are many other ways to make money online. <laughs> um, so right after college, I got a job working at a paid search agency who had uh, like a paid search management tool or application essentially. And I learned a bit there, but I think the conclusion that I came to was that Agencies are not an impossible thing to do. They don't, I mean, they, they do require expertise, but I, I figured out it was something that I thought I could handle. Right. And so a few months after joining that company, they were bought by Verizon. And I really did not want to work for like a, a giant conglomerate. Um, right. So I ended up leaving. And then my brother and I 
um, and our other partner, Nick, decided to start our first agency, which was a, a company called Waltier Digital. And this was right around the time when sites like Reddit and Dig were first coming around. I don't know if anyone remembers Dig now, but uh, <laughs> these were uh, aggregator sites where anybody could submit content and then the, the crowd essentially decided what was interesting and what wasn't. Right. And so we, we started just doing some experiments with those sites to see if we could create any popular content, any viral content through that mechanism. And so that was sort of the first foray into trying to create things that resonated with large audiences and were interesting to large groups of people and could become viral or could become successful and spread in a natural way just through their own interestingness or newsworthiness or whatever else. And so we had some early success with that and wrote a few case studies on it um, and then got featured on Moz, which was one of the, you know, the earliest and still is a, a pretty notable SEO related site right and just talking about the process of creating content for platforms like reddit and promoting them on reddit and then earning links and um trying to scale the link building of a particular site through that mechanism and so that sort of evolved over time into doing infographic marketing where we would create interesting infographics on lots of different topics uh, and promote them through different channels Eventually, we started promoting them through PR means, so actually pitching them to journalists, trying right. to create content that was interesting not only to uh, individual users and readers, but also to the journalists and their publications. And so we ended up sort of finding our way to a method of content marketing that we found was scalable and predictable. And that really became, at the time, it was infographics. Uh, and then promoting those infographics or pitching those infographics to major publications. Um, but that didn't work forever, right? <laughs> like you said in the beginning, the internet and the types of content that are popular online and with audiences change changes drastically over time. And so uh, we ended up selling that first agency to a larger company in Tampa, uh, ended up working there for a few years uh, didn't end up really working out that well, but we learned a lot about kind of what not to do. Right. <laughs> 2011 or 12, uh, left and decided to start Fractal, which was really the agency we had always wanted to have. And I think the one that we needed the previous experience and failures to actually achieve. And Fractal is a, a content marketing agency. So we're, we're still creating content with the, the goal of earning press and earning links on behalf of our clients. But the type of content that we create on their behalf has changed pretty drastically from uh, infographics. So now we take a, a data journalism style approach where we're actually trying to create newsworthy stories that have usually have a data angle to them. So it's presenting something entirely new. And that's, that's really the key in earning press is being able to tell a new story. Um, and hopefully one that has authority to it. So if you have data to back up your assertions and the points that you're making, then you have authority. And so that's that's sort of the, that was sort of the goal of Fractal was to develop two sides of this agency where one was doing data journalism work to tell really compelling and interesting and newsworthy stories on behalf of, of our brand clients. And then also developing a really high quality uh, PR arm that could pitch those stories in a really effective way to 
top tier publishers and journalists at those publishers. And that side was also something that took a lot of time and effort to learn and become really good at. Uh, we found out over time that the key, besides having something really interesting and newsworthy to pitch, was taking a very high touch approach to pitching. So making sure we really clearly understood who the journalist was, what their audience was, what their beat was, uh, what they'd written about in the past, writing very custom emails so that the journalists understood we knew who they were and who their audience was and why they should care about what we were pitching them. Um, journalists get a tremendous amount of, of stuff pitched to them every day. I mean, some get hundreds of emails a day. So the key is really breaking through that noise, getting them to notice you. And then when they actually read your email, having something compelling that fits their beat and fits what they write about and fits what their audience cares about. So that's what Fractal really became was an agency that uh, develops high quality content with a data journalism style approach and then pairs it with high touch PR to uh, really try and get the maximum value that we can for our clients by pitching it to the, the websites and, and the publishers and the journalists that have the largest reach and then supporting it uh, once it's published to extend the value of the links that are built and extend the, the visibility of the story uh, as much as possible. So a lot happens once you get a story published in a major publication. There's a lot of natural syndication that happens. There's a lot of secondary syndication that happens that we also support to try and get the maximum visibility and maximum number of high authority links that we can for our clients. So that's that's been the approach over the last 10 years or so is just refining both of those sides, the content creation, the data journalism style approach, and the high touch PR. And then in the last three years or so, things have been changing very quickly again with the advent of generative AI. And so I've been, my role at Fractal has changed sort of over the last few years where I've taken more of like a, an investigatory and experimental approach to trying to understand how generative AI, things like GPT-4 uh, can be applied and leveraged within an agency model. And how we can automate and supplement many of the activities that we're already doing with these new technologies. And that's been a really fun and extremely exciting thing for me. So um, I talk about this a lot on LinkedIn and share a lot of the experiments that I do on LinkedIn. So uh, we could talk about that more if you'd like to, but it's been my one of my primary focuses over the last couple of years. Wow. Wow. And, and, I love the part where you were talking about just you had to kind of go through some of those failures. You had to kind of go through some of those challenging times to actually really understand what you really wanted to build. I feel like I I see that and I hear that a lot, talking with a lot of business owners, talking with a lot of uh, people that are working on trying to grow the thing that they love to do. And at the same time, I hear so often that they're like, you know, I, I know I needed to learn that, but it was so that I could actually build what I really wanted to build, but I had no clue what that was back then. And I, I appreciate that so much. And I feel like so many of our listeners can will probably relate to that a lot. And, and for those of you guys listening, I feel like you got to evaluate that on a regular basis. Like you're constantly looking at it and going, okay, is this, was this really what I intended to build or was this, 
like what I needed to know so that I could build the thing that was that was coming my way. I have so many questions. Uh, one of the things I want to dig into from some of what you talked about was this this journey from back in the day. I mean, you're you're talking about a time period when so many people were still afraid of the internet and you were dealing with AdSense arbitrage. I mean, like, <laughs> like, and there were people that were like, Oh my gosh, the internet, you know, <laughs> like so you were doing that before, before people were really getting in. And, and I, I agree. I've had some, I, I have some colleagues that really made a lot of money on that, that whole, uh, we'll call it an incident because <laughs> it lasted for about that much time. But, um, but, the switch between AdSense arbitrage to doing content marketing, I mean, what a journey to get there. What do you feel like is the big switch in the technology or is it just a big switch in mentality because people kept learning the thing and had to keep adapting? Like what, what do you feel like is the big change from back then to now? Um, I think it was about finding sustainable business models and types of marketing that were not just going to be temporary flashes in the pan. So, right. And I think we've seen that in SEO. I mean, over that same time period, there have been a bunch of different eras where different sorts of techniques worked well and maybe worked incredibly well for a certain amount of time and then stopped working. Right. Google is constantly playing like this cat and mouse game with SEOs to, figure out how to eliminate spam, eliminate subversive tactics for manipulating the search results and rewarding those who were creating value. And so I think we realized pretty early on that the sort of like gray hat, black hat approaches, like maybe they could make a good amount of money in the short term, but they were never really sustainable business models or long-term solutions for any other businesses. And so pretty early on, I think, we doubled down on this idea of creating value through content. And then that content's value really is predicated on, on how many people read it and how far it is spread. So you really need to pair it with marketing with an ability to, to send it to and get other people interested in the content that you've created and be able to create content that truly is, is adding something entirely new to the conversation that isn't just a rehash of existing information or a combination of existing information put together in a new way. And, and that's sort of how we settled on this idea that we can create new and newsworthy content through the use of data, through the use of uh, data acquisition uh, techniques like surveys and data scraping and the use of uh, external APIs and government data sources and a lot of other methodologies for finding new and interesting ways to, to tell stories with concrete inf information and concrete data that supports whatever the thesis is that we've come up with. And that brands were really hungry for that kind of content too, not only because it allowed them to uh, tell stories that presented them as authorities and thought leaders, but because that was the type of content that could get them noticed and get them visibility and could be predictively created uh, and done consistently over time. Right? So this methodology works almost every time if you're doing it in the right way. And it's not the sort of thing where you're relying on a temporary technique or a flash in the pan type of hack that works for six months and then stops working, as was the case with many 
many SEO techniques over the last 15 years. Right. Right. Well, and, and, you know, you said you're starting to experiment and check what's happening with generative AI. And I feel like there's a whole line of, of, of creation that's kind of going down this route of just regurgitating stuff we had. And that's the problem I think I see. And, and you'll know better because you're, you're doing the data and you're doing the work in experimenting with this. But it seems as though if generative AI is creating based off of what it knows, it can only create off of the past, which means that we're not getting unique uh, creations here. We're getting a combination of old creations. And so have you seen data that uh, that supports the challenge of old creation getting regurgitated and it not actually doing as well? I, you know, I think that's a really interesting question and really one that's fundamental to the question of how valuable AI is currently and how valuable it will be to us in the future. And although I don't think it's going to do things like uh, invent an entirely new way of doing something that it's never seen in its training data, um, what it's exceptionally good at is, if prompted correctly, being able to surface new information that the human probably hasn't considered. So as, as a collaboration tool, I think it gives you significant superpowers in terms of surfacing information you maybe would have never thought to look up or would have never encountered otherwise, uh, if you're asking the right questions. So. Um, as a tool for ideation, as a tool for for writing outlines and doing research and making sure that you comprehensively understand a topic and have sort of been able to cover the entire breadth of what might be possible or what has been discussed around that specific topic. I think it's an incredible tool, um, but it does require the human to kind of put it together at the end and understand it holistically and figure out how they add something entirely new to the equation. Um, in terms of data journalism, it also has a lot of applications. So although it's not going to do like an entire investigatory data journalism project on its own, it certainly can do pieces of that, right? It can help you find the data sets that maybe you weren't aware of often in a better way than doing Google searches. Um, it can do data analysis. It can help you find outliers and, and um, you know, interesting angles that maybe you hadn't considered. And so it, it just acts sort of as like an assistant that has the collective knowledge of most of humanity at its fingertips. And so just from my perspective, it allows you to do a much more thorough job than you otherwise would be able to. Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the combination of of content creation with data and the SEO and the PR, like this is a, a cool combination. I've always felt something that you sort of alluded to as we were discussing, but I always felt with SEO that it, that there's always a tactic. It was always something. And you said you kind of like fly by night kind of ideas. And I always felt like, you know, I valued SEO and what the result it would do. But I always was worried that it was just another fly-by-night. It was always just a thing that was going to just blow away in the wind as soon as Google changed their thing. But I love the approach that you guys are, are talking about with the data combined with 
the content creation combined with PR and SEO, like that to me sounds so much more robust and so much more roots oriented. So can you talk, can you talk a little bit a bit more about how you combine those things? I mean, that just sounds like a huge amount of work. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot of work to execute an entire project start to finish to come up with a compelling enough idea to find the data to, depending on what the idea is, you're doing a lot of very specific data journalism type of work. So sometimes you're executing surveys, sometimes you're using existing government data sets, sometimes you're using uh, your client's internal data, sometimes you're doing uh, social media scraping to be able to tell stories about uh, what's happening within the context of social conversations. Um, sometimes you're mashing up multiple data sets together to tell sort of like a composite story. Um, sometimes we're doing entirely unique things we've never even tried before. So the whole process is, is very creative, um, but the intention is always to find something that hasn't been talked about to tell a story that hasn't been told um, and to do it in an emotionally compelling way, something that adds value, but is also emotionally activating, right? It's something that you really want to read and that a news organization would really want to publish. Right. Um, and making sure that you're tying it into the to the client's brand. So it, it could be a little bit tangential to the brand, but it still needs to make sense for the brand to have created. And the closer you can get to the unique offering of that particular brand, the closer that content's topic is to the brand itself, uh, the more value it can provide in the links that end up being built through the mechanism of pitching it to major publications. Right. And so, yeah, we're, we're always trying to sort of marry those things together is creativity, emotional activation, adding something entirely new through the data and the story that we're telling. Um, and then, yeah, giving it the, the best possible chance at widespread distribution and earning links and social shares and these other signals that matter to Google. I think we've always wanted to align with what Google's ultimate goal was, which is serving the searcher the most useful possible result it could. And if you're creating value uh, for individual searchers, then I think you should have confidence that Google will ultimately reward that. And I think the problem with subversive SEO tactics, and there have been dozens of them over the last 15 years, um, is that they weren't really about adding value. They were about figuring out a way to game the algorithm and mislead the algorithm to think that a certain website or a certain page was more important or more valuable than it actually was. And so you, I think I think for the, the brands and the SEO and link building companies that really have been consistent in their in the value that they provide, they've been focused less so on subverting the system and more so on actually providing value. And so that was sort of our realization early on. And it's what we've consistently tried to do and what we've consistently tried to level up. So figuring out new methodologies to do this, more sophisticated ways to tell these stories, new types of data journalism methodologies and data acquisition uh, techniques to be able to get at stories that otherwise haven't been told. Right. Right. Talk to me a little bit more about the right type of business. Cause I, I can imagine some of my listeners are out here thinking, wow, that sounds really complex. 
And like, maybe that's only for like, you know, Chase Bank and McDonald's to be able to, to do. So talk to me about who this is for and, and who can take advantage of the types of services that you guys are already offering and bringing to the table. I mean, really any, any type of brand can do it. And Fractal has worked with small businesses, startups, and also enterprise uh, size businesses. Um, it's not a cheap thing to do because it obviously is a lot of work to come up with a compelling enough story, actually do the data journalism work, and then take a high touch approach to pitching it. Um, each of those steps individually takes a lot of work and time. Right. Um, but it isn't something that is completely unapproachable. I mean, a, a motivated individual could do all of those steps themselves if they, sure. if they were interested in doing it. Um, and it really also has a lot to do with the idea, right? Like some data journalism projects that we've done were highly complex and had a lot of moving parts and had, uh, you know, a lot of individual problems to solve in order to be able to execute it fully. And maybe those were issues on how do we get this data? How do we clean this data? How do we fully investigate this data to find the angles and the stories that exist within it? Um, so it really, yeah, it really just depends on the story idea and how co complex and difficult it ends up being. So some of the stories that we tell on behalf of brands, we, we do something called newsjacking, which is trying to tell a much smaller form story based on breaking news or something that's currently in the news cycle. So maybe we're not doing like a, a very deep investigation of something, but we're just answering one or two questions about it through something like surveys or through social data scraping or through Google Trends uh, API to get some sort of feel on what is sort of the live reaction to some like breaking news story or doing a small scale survey where we're only asking a few questions, um, but we can execute it quickly and do the investigative work quickly. So yeah, the difficulty of it has to do with the, the idea, the data source and the scale. And so, so for individuals, I think it's certainly possible to, to come up with a, an idea that's very compelling and newsworthy, but isn't overly uh, ambitious and to execute it yourself on maybe like a month or two timescale. But yes, it is a lot of work and uh, it's important to be very deliberate about the ideas that you choose because you can waste a lot of time if you're going down the wrong road and trying to pick a story that's not newsworthy or isn't tied to the brand well or right. isn't going to be of interest to specific publishers and it's always good to have a set of publishers in mind before you come up with the idea and even even to reach out to them and say hey i'm working on this project what do you think this is something you'd like to cover uh, potentially if i finish this right. so we have a lot of integration on our team between our pr the people who are pitching and the creatives who are doing the data journalism work so that uh, there's a feedback loop there between what's being created and how we think it will resonate with the publishers and the journalists that we'll eventually be pitching it to. And using the expertise and the sort of understanding of the current news cycle from our PR team to inform the questions that we're asking in the, in the content creation and what angles we think will best enable us to be successful when it's being pitched. So how do we cover the most number of beats possible? How do we make this appeal to specific publications or specific journalists? And 
that feedback loop has been really important to our, our to the predictability of our success. And so we've, we've gotten it to a place where we can be pretty certain that we can land press for every piece of content that we create. And cer certainly there's a large spread of success. We'll have some that you know, only get a few pickups and we'll have others that get hundreds or thousands of pickups. Right. Of course, you know, the hundreds of thousands is relatively rare, but so is the one or two and right. most fall somewhere in between. So. Right. Right. Well, cool. I mean, I, I think at, at this stage in the game, you've probably sparked the interest of, of so many people listening and I'd love to just connect them with you and let them come and explore what they could do with you next. So how can they do that? How can they connect with you and, and get uh, the ball rolling if they're like, oh, my gosh, this is something I totally need? Yeah, I mean, they can email me at kristen at frac.tl uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn where I'm, I've been very active over the last year. Um, I share a lot of Python scripts that help to automate a lot of these things that I've been talking about, but also, also others. Uh, things with social media, um, things with research, things with uh, audience understanding, like persona generation, and content creation, and marrying it all together. Um, so that's where I share most of that. Definitely follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. Um, or check out fract.tl, fractal, our website, which has lots of case studies and additional information about the type of content we create. Um, or look for us on Clutch, which is like a review aggregator site for marketing agencies. We have a, a large number of testimonials there if you're interested in hearing about the results of our work and the satisfaction of our clients. Yeah, I love that. It's awesome. Well, guys, uh, appreciate it. Appreciate you being here today. Uh, it's great hearing from you and learning so much about this. I think that it's such a holistic approach. Uh, it, we, we clearly pointed out that there's no fly-by-night stuff. We want stuff that's going to be sustainable and stuff that's going to last for a while. And the work that you guys are doing to bring that to life is so imperative and so important. So all of you guys listening, uh, go check it out see what you can do to get started. You know this is stuff you need, so go do it. And until next time, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate your time and your wisdom and uh, the experience from your journey. And uh, everybody else out there, keep choreographing your business. We'll see you on the next episode of Business Choreography. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.